Amen. You can grab a seat and uh, listen. I, I hope you understand the power of um, of what we were just singing. And uh, you know, there is when when you proclaim that um, you've been God for a long time. What you're saying there is is that um, whatever place of heartache that you're walking through, or whatever area of of sin that you might feel entangled in, or whatever wisdom you don't yet have for your life, um, God's been doing this for a long time. And, uh, and you can trust him and you can find uh, uh, your comfort in humbling yourself uh, before him. And, uh, and he's got this and he's had this for a long time. And so uh, I hope that there's a response in your heart that says, man, I can trust God. I can really, really trust him. And uh, listen, it's, it's great to be gathered um, together this week. And uh, I, I just, um, I've had a few moments this, uh, this past week where, uh, whether it's been um, walking alongside people in our church or giving counsel or preparing for um, a, a preaching in front of the church and leading us in this way, um, there is just, at, at times I'm sure you get this maybe with a spouse or with a, a, a child that you're just, like, you're just thankful. And uh, I'm just really thankful for our church. I'm thankful for all of you. I'm thankful for Jesus Christ above all of that. And I just want to remind us that um, what we're gathered together for is not about a building or a specific a person or a pastor or a ministry that we love. It is about the mission of making disciples. It is going to make disciples, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey what Jesus Christ has commanded. And you're going to see every element of that this morning, and I'm so excited for uh, the time in God's Word, um, calling people to discipleship, and then um, the time uh, that we're going to see people get baptized today. And so just so thankful for that, and uh, just kind of blown away by what God's doing um, in our life together. And so let me just pray before we jump back into Acts 9. God, I um, am asking in a way that I know that you can do through the power of your spirit, I'm asking that you would move and continue to teach and direct and align our hearts with this mission, that it would be relentless in our, in our pursuit of it, that there would be a humility that in our spirits would say, God, receive this um, heart that I'm giving to you. Would you direct it and lead it so that I might walk uh, not just more rightly, but I would walk into the joy that you want to bring to me as a good father. And that you would shape my identity, you would shape my understanding of what it means to walk in the gospel. We trust that to you now, a spirit of God, and ask that you would continue to lead us and speak to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, something that I, I think all, everyone kind of recognizes in our culture is that there's something, um, there's something that is said when someone rises. In the courtroom, right, the, the, uh, the judge walks in and it's all rise. And everyone rises out of respect and honor. Uh, we rise up at a wedding when the bride begins to walk down the aisle. We, we rise up and sometimes cheer when our team is victorious. There is all of these moments in life when we rise. God's people rise up to worship him. We, we stand out of respect and out of honor. We also stand because we can. And there's something about victory that stands. It stands. It, it rises up. And what we're going to be talking about today is the way that Jesus calls us to rise because he calls us into the healing that the gospel offers. 
It's, it's a fabric and a truth throughout uh, the New Testament, this idea of healing and, and, and through the work of the gospel, through a human heart turning by faith to Jesus Christ and then um, understanding what it means to follow Christ and submitting their entire life. What the Spirit of God does to a person is that it begins to restore them out of brokenness so that they can rise. It also brings death out of life so that they can rise. Every part of the gospel is about restoring to brokenness and bringing death out of life. And um, here's the reality and the truth that speaks out over this passage we're about to read this morning and the gospel is this. Jesus calls you to rise. He calls you to rise. To rise. And so just look with me. In Acts chapter 9, we're going to finish it up uh, this uh, morning, which means next week, Acts chapter 10. We're walking right through the book of Acts in this series in our church. and uh, So just, just follow along with me as, as we start in verse 32. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. And so, uh, listen, Peter is all about the gospel. He's been called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. And everywhere he goes, he's representing, teaching, a training, calling people to faith, seeing people baptized, teaching them to follow Jesus with all of their hearts and minds. And so he comes down to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. So this guy, Aeneas, he didn't just like turn an ankle or break his leg. Eight years stuck on a bed with none of the modern technology that could even bring some semblance of help that we might know in our society, but just laying on a mat requiring people to care for him. Peter sees this one man, and in verse 34, and Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Notice who he gives credit to. Don't believe for a moment that because I'm the one that's speaking this over your life, that it's about me. Anybody who proclaims God's truth gets a, should have a right sense that it's not me. These are God's words. This is God saying this to you, and he says, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. It's interesting that the first thing he tells him to do after, after he rises is to do a chore. Like, make your bed. And I, if I had been sitting in one bed for eight years, I'd be like, I got it. No problem. I mean, he's like, make your bed. This is a declaration. That moment is done. You're, you're not staying there anymore. I've called you to rise up and you're going to take your bed, this symbol of your suffering and restraint and, 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 and paralyzed is what the symbol is of that. And you're going to pick that up, just like Jesus Christ picked you up off the ground. And then, of course, and immediately he rose. He's like, got it. I'm in for this. Verse 35, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. They saw him. That was, was that the one? Yeah, that was the one. He got healed. How? Jesus Christ. And now, you can, just, you can just see it. People's ears turn towards the gospel. What is that gospel? And then to hear, and then to move themselves into places where they could hear the gospel, and then their own hearts be turned to the Lord. You see a pattern here. Healing, you see it throughout Acts. Healing leads to curiosity. People gather to hear the gospel. Gospel communicated. The Spirit of God opening people's hearts and minds to the gospel Eyes open to the truth of Jesus Christ and turn to the Lord. And look, it's again, next section, 
Verse 36, now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. We're not using Dorcas, okay? Tabitha, okay? I love Tabitha, and I'm not going to call her Dorcas, okay? Here we go, 36, she was full of good works and acts of charity. So, so Tabitha had a reputation, and it was a sweet repu- reputation of, of good works and charity among God's people. Look what it says. It says, in those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. So so they laid her in this upper room because that was the tradition of burial. They would keep them for, and they would prepare their body for burial for about 24 hours, and then they would bury them. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. Now, we're not sure here whether they had anticipated that Peter had this power to raise people from the dead or if it was just they wanted Peter as an apostle to be there to recognize and represent all that this woman had done for the people of God through her service. We don't know, but look what happens. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Tabitha made while she was with them. Like, they're like, they're weeping and they're going, this is, she clothed us. Imagine the sense of loss that the community would have felt at this time with this saint who had passed away. Verse 40, but Peter put them all outside. He's like, I'm about to seek the Lord and why don't you all just go outside and he kneels down and prayed And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. See, he even calls her the right name. Dorcas, no, not not great. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand, and he raised her up. Then calling all the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. Death to life. And it became known, look, there's the pattern again. And it became known throughout all Joppa, you think? I think that's the kind of news that travels fast, way faster than bad news. And many believed in the Lord. The testimony of healing led to a testimony of people coming to faith in Christ. And then verse 43, and he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. The reality of what's being pointed to here is a pattern that we see in the book of Acts. It is um, that, that God has all power and that then he works in a place of healing to uh, bring attention to uh, the gospel and the way that he can work so that people might then come to faith in Christ. It's part of the testimony. It's part of the message. Here's the thing that you need to hear and receive in your own life. Jesus calls you to rise. He calls you to rise. Jesus had the power to to restore Aeneas who had this disability and he had the power through Jesus Christ to breathe life back into the lungs of Tabitha. Peter was just a conduit. He was just a representative, just like the rest of us. And he said, in the name of Jesus, arise. Our God has the power to restore brokenness and to bring life out of death. 
And these testimonies were used by God to lead many to himself. Healing is used here to get people's attention. Like, hey, 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 over here, God's at work. I don't know, I don't know what to do with my life. I don't know if I can go any farther. I don't know if I can keep enduring under what I'm feeling. I'm so entangled in my sin. And, and it's like, hey, 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 God's at work over here in the gospel. Do you want to hear it? Do you want to hear it? And the same Jesus that rose Aeneas up from his mat and the same a God who rose Tabitha from dead to alive is the same God who stands over the church of Jesus Christ today. And that pattern, that same pattern in Acts 9 continues in the church today. There's healing that, that creates a proclamation of the gospel that gives it weight that then brings people to gather around and want to hear about this gospel. And then through the work of the Spirit, people come to faith in Christ. Same pattern. Now, you know, yes, yes, the healing here took on a unique form in the, in the early church. It was definitive, and in this situation, these two, both Aeneas and Tabitha, a man and a woman, in, in both of their lives, it was a miraculous, immediate, physical healing. But you, we all understand, we've said this many times in our church, um, Aeneas and Tabitha are not so alive today. So, so eventually, uh, they died. But because of the reality of what Jesus Christ did in their hearts, there's a spiritual healing that comes that leads to eternity. Leads to eternal life. Life everlasting. Life never ending. Anyone who understands the currency of the kingdom knows that spiritual healing greater than physical healing. And, and that oftentimes there was physical healing to point to the reality that if, if God's over the physical world, then he's certainly over the spiritual world. See, Jesus calls you to rise into healing. Sometimes it can be physical, but more importantly, he calls you to rise out of a, a brokenness spiritually into restoration spiritually he calls you to he, he calls your heart to move from a place of death to a place of life it's throughout scripture it's all throughout the new testament his calling to rise see it clearly with me on a few other passages in the new testament first god's healing from brokenness first peter two twenty four. he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Hebrews 12, right after God talks about discipline, he says, now just watch this and think paralyzed. Because I think that's the picture here. Therefore lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. And then James 5, 16, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. There it is, healing from brokenness all throughout the New Testament. There's a pattern here that God wants us to access. Then God bringing life out of death, how about this, Romans 5, 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, 
shall we be saved by his life, that we're saved into the life of Christ. Romans 6.13, present yourselves to God, when, when you have faith in Christ, present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Step into it. By, by, by faith, walk in it and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. And then this, 2 Timothy 1.10, appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death. Just sit there for a second. He abolished it. He abolished it. That's why we keep celebrating Easter long after the day passes. Who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Life out of death. That's God's truth. And church, hear me when I say he is wanting you to rise. He is calling you to rise. Rising from brokenness. Rising from death to life. These testimonies of God's miraculous work of, of, of healing and bringing life out of death is all over our church. It's all over our church. Both completed works and works in progress. And it's awesome, these miracles that God's bringing. Greg, I, I, I love the testimony of what God is doing in your life, of bringing works of healing. It is awesome. I can, I can look around this room and I can see more, Michael and Juliet, and the, and, the, and the work over time that both has been in a time of completed and God's done this, but also a work in progress. It is sweet and beautiful to think about the things. Think about the Bergmans and, 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 and the, your testimony of faith in Christ and the way God has brought that about in such a sweet way. He's brought healing to your lives, a stability that you would have never even thought possible years and even now decades ago. Church, they're, they're right here. These testimonies that we, that, that we have of, of God bringing us from a place of literally laying on a mat wondering, I can't stand. And then God in his sweetness reaching his hand out and going, arise, arise. People whose testimonies years ago or, 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 or a number of years ago were like, I didn't even see the reality of the glory of the goodness of God. And then my eyes opened to the glory of God. And God reaching down into the filth of my sin and brokenness and going, you're gonna rise up out of that. Jesus calls you to rise. Now I know that in a room like this, I know that there are some of you that are like, just, you're, you're just in a place, you're in a spot. You're, you're, you're maybe feeling the weight of your sin and brokenness. Maybe there's a sense of pain and struggle and just a sense of death, just foreboding all around your life right now. Maybe because of your own sin or because of the ways that your life has been injured by others. And uh, you could be the next miracle in our church. Because Jesus calls you to rise. But I want to be clear this morning to serve you. Because some of you are asking, how? 
How do I rise into the power of the gospel? What does that look like? What are the key points? How can I know that I'm on the right track because I understand the deceitfulness of my own sin and the brokenness of my own heart and sometimes I seem to stop and then start or I seem to cycle back around in this pattern of one step forward and four steps back or whatever. I just, I'm feeling that right now. How do you access the power? Well, let me just serve us. Let me serve us, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna look at five moves that I see as a clear pattern. Even some of the passages we've, we've already talked about in regards to healing is gonna help guide this. Five moves that happen when someone's walking into the healing that God wants to bring. But before I start walking through them, let me just, let me just give a little bit of a clarification on all of these. The way, only way that you move into these things that God wants to bring in your life to cause you to rise out of brokenness and out of death, they all start with your faith in Jesus Christ, a full yielding of your life to him, an agreement that he is who he says he is, and every one of these moves is by grace. You don't have the power in your own self to be like, yeah, I got this. I'm gonna make a little adjustment here and then I'm gonna be able to stand. You don't have the power to breathe life back into dead places in your life. And so it is by faith, by grace, but when that happens, it sort of starts to mark some things that start to move. And so I, I, wanna, I wanna illustrate this really well this morning. And so I'm gonna bring this chair out and this chair represents a bit of where, um, there's my water. Um, it, 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 is, it is an illustration of um, the place we get in sin and brokenness. And um, this is the picture of us stuck and this a rope represents the reality of sin that just gets entangled all around our lives, right? Like we feel this. This is the reality of our life. And um, so the question is, 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 how do I rise? What does the gospel promise me? How does it lead me from this place to where I can rise? Because some of you are like, I'm pretty tangled. And these are things that I've known forever and I don't know how to get out of this. And so here's, here's the first thing that happens. If you wanna rise up into healing, the first thing is this. See the cross clearly. The cross and the message of the cross is the centerpiece of the gospel. And so a person, before they see the cross clearly, is just like, Maybe they're feeling the reality and the weight of their sin, or maybe they're so deceived that they think it's okay. They're like, look at me over here. I'm, I'm just kind of nailing life right now. And those of us who have our eyes open are like, not nailing life. Not at all. You're kind of a mess. And when you see the cross clearly, what you recognize is that there's another way. That's the first thing that comes from the cross. On the cross is where Jesus, um, out of his love for you, died so that the first piece of walking into healing is that you can see that he beckons you to something different and that you experience the forgiveness that covers your sin, all of the guilt and shame and the weight of the sin is then lifted and you see the cross clearly and you go, Jesus has something better for me. And then after you see the cross clearly and you see that that reality is for you, 
It's not just for other people, it's for you. That his love was for you, that every piece of your sin and the weight and the heaviness of it and the way it tangles and, and he, he covered that. He bought your freedom and now you're curious when you see the cross clearly. You're like, I want that. And so that leads to the second one. The second one is receive God's discipline. Now, I, I loved that Hebrews 12 passage where it says lift your drooping hands and, and then it says make straight paths for your feet because when you receive God's discipline, listen, that passage earlier, it says that the discipline seems painful at the time. Of course, all discipline seems painful. But to those who are trained by it, trained by it, it becomes a fruit of righteousness. So when you receive God's discipline, the next move is you look and you go, um, wait, 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 there's a better way. This is twisted and it's not straight and it's confusing and it's heavy and it's weighty. This, this, this leads me into dark places and, wait, there's straight paths? I, I want straight paths. See, Receiving God's discipline is painful, but when you've been trained by it, you realize that the discipline is loving. And so now not only are you awakened to a God who beckons you in another direction, but now you're like, wait, 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 there's another way? And God starts to point these things that are entangled around you, this sin and brokenness, and he's like, oh, that's sin. I don't, I don't actually want that for your life. And your eyes become opened up to that and the more you learn God's word, the more you identify areas of your life that's tangled, but you're still tangled. And some people sit in church for decades and they're like, I see the cross and, and I know this isn't right and they stay here because they haven't moved to the next one. They know they're being invited and encouraged to get these straight paths, but they don't know how to get there. And sometimes they try to get up and they try to walk, but they literally can't get out of their seat. Because the next one is critical. It's this. Crucify the flesh. Crucify the flesh. See, not only do I see the cross clearly, now I receive God's discipline and I recognize that there's parts of my life, the way I think, the way that I've lived, even my own identity that's so tied up in this brokenness of sin. This is exactly what I would, I would say to anybody if I was sitting counseling you on any subject in your life right now. I would be like, the next move you have to make is to crucify the flesh if you want to walk in healing. And you have to die to sin. That's, that's the model that Christ set for us in his death on the cross. And so in crucifying the flesh, what you begin to do is, is you begin to identify, like, I don't want this in my life anymore. And now, it's a spiritual move to take this thing, to identify it as against God's will and desire. And I begin to take this, and I literally crucify it. I lay it on the cross following the same model that Jesus Christ did. I yield this to him. And then through the Spirit of God, over time, I'm literally strangling the life out of this. Like, not going there anymore. Not doing this. And what you begin to do is you begin to crucify the flesh and begin to pull this off of your life in different areas. And anybody who's walked through crucifying the flesh knows that like, the second you get it untangled from here, you're like, uh-oh, still kind of tangled up over here. And this is a constant work of faith throughout your life. It's a process of identifying the passions of your flesh and then laying them on the cross and nailing them there until they die. This is a work of grace, church. It's a work of grace. 
areas of deception that you were like, oh man, I didn't even realize that I was getting myself more tangled up in this because of the way my heart was being deceived. Some of you are like, I know that. Some of you, it's blind spots. You're like, oh gosh, I just saw that. I don't want that in my life. Crucify that. So some of you, it's failures over time that have entangled themselves around your heart and life and God's like, I got this. Just, just crucify it. Crucify the flesh slowly and consistently until it dies and begins to lose its influence over you. Church, you can't rush here. You can't rush here. The reality of sin has oftentimes embedded itself around the way we think, the way we live. Patterns of our life can be fundamentally influenced by sin, and I would encourage you to process carefully how to crucify the flesh. It's a painstaking process. I love what John Owen, uh, one of my uh, favorite Puritan uh, theologians, wrote a long time ago. He wrote this. It's up on the screens. Look at this. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. To mortify a sin is to utterly kill it, to root it out and destroy it, that it should have no more hold at all and no residence in our hearts. This is our aim, but this, it will not be accomplished in this life. So you could say, oh my goodness, that's sort of defeating. Um, Yeah, except from now until you break into eternity, God wants to continue to remove these things from you and give you a testimony of healing. And so crucify the flesh. Identify these passions and the way that they've intertwined themselves around your life and slowly and carefully begin to identify them as such and then begin to uh, literally choke the life out of them and discard them from your life. And at that point now, you can now move into the next one. And that's this one, live to righteousness. Live to righteousness. Remember the pattern from 1 Peter? It was, um, look, look to him. Look, look to his death on the cross. So that you might die to sin and live to righteousness. N- now the whole identity of your life begins to change. And see, some people come this far, and, and they sort of are like, I, I don't like the sin in my life. And they crucify the flesh, but they don't live to righteousness. And then what will happen then is that you'll fall back into patterns of sin, and you'll be like, well, this is what I know. So then before long, you'll be back entangled in the sin, the pattern of your life that you've known. There has to be a move. And now the move is the process of starting to rise up in. Now that you're, you're loose of the sin, now you can start going, okay, hold on. Like, hold on, I can stand. And there's this moment of victory when you're like, I have straight paths for my feet and I'm done with this. And, and, and what happens is, is you kind of start over here and can you imagine the person that had been paralyzed for eight years like some of you in patterns of sin and death that have been a pattern of your life and you begin to stand, you're like, can I, can I do this? Can I take a step? And you take the first step and you're like, you know, everything still feels kind of numb because the way it's been held in one spot for so long. And then you begin to walk and to live. And notice what it says, to righteousness. The entire purpose of your life has been changed by this moment. 
When Jesus Christ has healed you, you're you're not like, I want to go back to that life. No, you're like, I'm going to live to righteousness. This God that has untangled the the very depth of my life and brought healing, I'm going to live to righteousness. Every part of my life is committed to following him. And there's a zeal that comes from that. My identity is not about what I want for my life. My identity is defined by righteousness. That's it. I just want to walk rightly. I want to walk in what God's called me to. The entire purpose of my life has changed. I look at this with disdain because it's dead now and increasingly being discarded from my life. And I'm living to righteousness. Jesus calls you to rise. This is what it looks like. This is the pattern of healing. And it concludes here, final one. Submit to counsel and care. Submit to counsel and care. So here's another place where, um, here's another place where, 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 where people uh, go astray and where the enemy loves to get in and kind of mess with God's perfect plan. We, we see the cross clearly. We uh, receive God's discipline. We crucify the flesh. We live to righteousness. But then here's the problem. This walk is a long walk. And there's a level of endurance that sometimes we struggle with. And there's a level even of wisdom in seeing clearly that we don't always see clearly. And that's why so critical in this for sustained living to righteousness is to submit to counsel and care. The pattern of this in scripture is to commit, like we see in Acts, commit to a local body of believers to submit under the care and the leadership of pastors and elders and brothers and sisters in Christ to confess your sins as we read to other people who can pray for you, bring counsel, and walk alongside you so that you can walk in the healing that God's called you to. Jesus calls you to rise, and there's strength in community. It's a key to endurance and protection and even the depth of your faith. The trajectory of that will be impacted by the level of your engagement in community. Spiritual gifts that people have Every one of you have a spiritual gift that God wants you to use to serve others, which means that I'm enriched by your service. That's what it means. And so walking in community is where that's to play out, and that leads to the progress in the faith. And a church, this is a place where people just go astray. And I want to warn you and challenge you and encourage you. Some people are going to say, I'm going to live my life and my faith independently. It's just me and God. That's, that's all that's needed. And you just watch them begin to go like this. I don't have good examples. I don't. Not in my years of ministry. I don't have good examples of that. Or, or what happens is, is, is people, uh, they trip again and they get tangled up and now they feel guilt and shame because they somehow mistakenly think that like people in the body of Christ are perfect and so they fall and then out of their guilt or shame, they don't engage in the community and they stray from it. Or they really, really love a part of this and they know that if they go talk to godly, biblically-based a council that they're going to be told that this is sin. And so they go find, which you can find them inside and outside the church, counselors who'd be like, that's okay. And they're like, I love this. <laughs> and the whole time it's around their neck. That's the reality of sin. When wrongly and deceptively seen. And what the enemy loves to do is draw people away and then he attacks. 
And the person inside it sometimes is aware and sometimes is blind and the church grieves. That's what we do, that's what we do. We do not condemn, we grieve, church. We grieve. And it leads people away from straight paths and away from righteousness. God wants us to submit under counsel and care. It is God's grace to us. If I was to sit down with you and you were to ask me, hey Brian, what's the thing that's led, um, what's the thing that's led most often to a trajectory of growth in your life and in the intimacy and depth you have with Jesus Christ? Number in the top three for sure, maybe number one would be the pattern of my life in the midst of all the ways I mess up and trip up and fall and have many weaknesses and struggles. I move so quickly to submit myself under leadership. I've done it since the very beginning of my faith. I haven't pushed back against it. I'm just like, God called, I trust him. God called these people over my life and I'm submitting to them and I'm gonna listen and I'm gonna learn and I'm gonna process through on my own and I'm gonna take it to God's word and test it and repeat again and again and again. I'm under submission in this church. I'm under submission to the other elders. And more than that, I willingly and readily will always put myself under the leadership of people who are stronger in areas than I am. I do this all the time in our church in regards to uh, parenting and marriage and, and I get next to a couple who's been married for 50 years, I'm like, I'm gonna shut up and listen and ask a lot of questions. Submit under counsel and care because Jesus doesn't just want you to stand and begin to walk into healing, he wants to sustain it. And the sustaining of that requires a submission to counsel and care. Jesus calls us not just to rise, but to stay risen. That's what he wants from our life. And, and, and listen, all of this, particularly in, in, in submitting yourself to counsel and care, it's a mess. It's not always perfect, and there's sin and weaknesses all around that, but the consistency of that bears fruit. I've seen it again and again. Walking in this and, and, and standing up and rising up into healing. Church, Jesus calls you to rise. Right now, some of you are like, I don't know how. Or I don't even see it. And, and I just want to encourage you that there is no brokenness that he cannot restore. And there is no place of death that if you would grab hold of the name of Jesus Christ that he cannot bring life to that place of death. That's what our God does. He restores broken things. He brings water into parched deserts. He breathes life back into lungs that stopped breathing. And then as healing comes, just like in Acts 9, Recognize that the pattern then is to say to the world, um, 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 he's alive and he heals. And I didn't think I could stand in this area of my life because the reality of sin has so entangled itself around my life. And let me tell you, he heals. 
and you turn to the world with this testimony. And it's the same reality that we, many of us would, would, would talk about even in our own testimony. And, and then suddenly my eyes and my ears, my eyes were open and my ears were turned to this gospel. And I leaned in like never before and I listened to a depth I had never listened before. And the spirit of God began to open my eyes to the truth of Jesus Christ and I turned to the Lord. It's the same pattern, church. The same pattern in Acts 9. Healing validates and brings attention to the gospel and people come to faith in Christ. And that's what I'm praying for our church. That's what I'm praying would be represented in your life that we would come to this place where the gospel is is significantly and deeply bearing this healing in our lives and that we're standing up into it. And then out of that, let the world hear. Let the world hear that we recognize that my healing is for the promotion of the gospel. It's just like what Jesus said when he said, let your good works shine before others so that some might give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Oh, my only responsibility is to let my light shine before others. I'm not responsible for the some. I trust God with that. But let our proclamation be, I have risen because Jesus calls me to rise. Take the testimony of your healing to the world. Talk to people about it. Look for opportunities to give hope and point them to the gospel. I pray that God, through the power of his spirit, would both bring you to a place where you could rise into the healing that Christ calls you to and then share that with the world. Let's pray together. God, I'm asking for you to do something that is completely and totally a work of your grace and a testimony of your power. There is no aspect of what I'm I'm asking in this moment, God, that is something that can be brought in any way through human effort or through human hands at all. It is a complete and total move of your spirit And so I'm asking, God, that in these moments that, first, I believe there are some people here this morning who have been entangled and feel a deep sense of brokenness. And God, you as the good shepherd wants to uh, reach into their lives. I pray that just like Peter reached his hand out to Tabitha, I pray that they would see that the arm of their Savior is extended to them. And they would take the hand of Jesus and that I pray in this moment that they would begin to rise up into healing. And I pray, God, that some of us would see the testimony of our healing as something that the world needs to hear. And we would grow in boldness that our witness might be heard. And so, God, I just ask that you would do this in our church. And even, God, in a few moments as we hear testimonies of faith, that it would stir us. We love you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for your work. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.